Hi, this is Ian Roberts, and you're listening to Level Playing Field. and welcome back to Level Playing Field Podcast. Level Playing Field is my podcast. My name is Randy Boos, where I interview people who are LGBTQ and involved in sports. I am actually taking two weeks off of fresh episodes, but I am filming a new intro for this episode I'm going to have on today. This episode was recorded over the summer. Ian Roberts is my guest. Ian came out in 1994-95. Um, he's an Australian rugby league player. As a rugby fan myself and someone who struggled with sexuality for years and years, I'm in 95, Ian coming out was huge for me. He meant so much to me. He was a hero. Um, I was a fan. Um, it was just r- so freaking cool that I was able to speak with him um, over the summer. I'm going to keep this intro short like I do all my intros. I don't want to waste your time and I want you to listen. Um, this came out in the summer. Before I was on Outsports, I'm introducing it now to you. Um, but without further ado, here is my interview with Ian Roberts. Welcome, Ian, to my podcast. It's nice to be here, Andy. I am so excited to talk to you, so let's get started. It's very fun even say that (laughs) (laughs) the way i always start is i like to get the earliest memory that you have as a child not even sports related just whatever memory pops into your head god my memory is terrible at the best of times but um i i would say that my first memory that i have is running home from school on the first day that my father took me to kindergarten i was i was at home before he was he dropped me off at school and i was in the backyard before he was Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. When you were when you were a kid, were you always active in sports? Um, yeah, but no more so than any other kid my age, and particularly from the um, from the area um, I grew up in. I grew up, grew up in a really housing commission, low economic, socially economic type situation. My mum, my mum and dad were. Um, I'm English. My mum and dad are obviously English. They came over to Sydney, Australia from London in 1967 as 25-year-olds with three kids in tow. Uh, my dad used to be like a, like a truck driver back home and my mum was a cleaner. So we were very, work, very, very working class. So sport and, and getting out the house was uh, was just a means for, uh, to give my mum a bit of a break from, from us driving her crazy. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have um, two sisters, one younger, one older, and an older brother. We're all um, uh, within about seven years of each other. Oh, okay. Did you guys all play sports? No, not really. My my two sisters weren't really uh, into sports. My brother was um, was a surfer. He spent all his time at the beach. Uh, he did play a bit of rugby league, but um, I was the only one that really played continuously, like um, – on, you know, like at school and also um, yeah, outside uh, competition competitions on the weekend. Yeah. How early on did you get serious about the sport? Oh, see, that's such a yeah. I don't really know. I mean, I I know it sounds like a really blase answer, but I when I was about seventeen, eighteen, I actually um, 
I mean, I was quite a good player at that age. I, it took me a long time to get to that stage. But about 17, 16, 17, I wanted to give the game away because of my sexuality. I was w- well aware of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had I'd convinced myself in my head that, 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 that those two could never, could never like, go hand in hand and mix. So, yeah, I was... I, Tried to give the game away in about eighteen, but my my dad really pursued and pushed me into into giving it another year because um, he uh, he was my biggest fan and I always saw the potential. But um, so after a lot of coaxing, I, I gave it another year, and it was actually in that year that that following year that things kind of took off for me in a professional sense. And when I say in a professional sense, you've got to remember we're now talking the early eighties. And rugby league is, is not is not a big sport. I think my first in nineteen eighty six, my first contract that I signed, I think I took home nine thousand dollars for the year. So I, I, that's just giving you some sort of re- re- relevance that it was it wasn't um, professional inverted commas. It was very semi professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. I imagine the TV contracts came later. Yeah, much much later, and I was kind of that was like not till the uh, mid to. Late nineties, ninety seven, Rupert when Rupert Murdoch got involved and and uh, created his own um, competition. That's when, and I was fortunate enough that I got a couple of years of that good money. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny because you talk about your sexuality and at like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, you're playing or the height. I you're what six five, I believe. Yeah, but six five. Yeah. So what were you at that age? Um, I was. I mean, I'm, well, I mean, roughly. I, I would have been, you know, close to six foot, if not, you know, or maybe just a little bit under. But I was very, at that age too. I mean, hadn't my my body hadn't matured, and like I was really lanky, and, and I was very lean, a gangly type um, frame. Oh, okay. How did it feel dealing with that and playing the game? I mean, because back then in the early eighties, it's yeah. not like sexuality is really talked about a lot. Yeah, and any time you saw any sort of media reports, it was always um, in a negative sense. So I do like I remember as like a nine-year-old sitting on the lounge watching a documentary. It was on TV. I was sitting with my dad and the whole family. We were just watching the TV, but the documentary was about homosexuality. And I just remember it was a, uh, a grab game of, of two men holding hands and and, and um, Kissing each other, and I just remember my dad saying, "Oh, they they make my beep 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 skin skin crawl." And I, I just so it was there was there was wasn't many positive um, images or, or positive role models back then. And that's that's kind of I mean even you know like my dad used to be my family used to be big on. Do you remember? I don't know if they were a big thing in in America. The Carry On films, the English Carry On films. No, no, okay. Well, they were huge here, and they were, they were big in big in England. Um, there was a comedy sketch type show, but um, even in that in, in that comedy sketch show, there, there was a couple of actors, um, Kenneth Williams, who you might have heard of, and um, mm-hmm. who's really camp, and that's the only sort of imagery and, and like connection I could. Most people my age back back then had with what it was to be gay. By the way, um, you can swear unless it's. I mean, oh, not that right. I'm, I'm telling you to, but you can. It's yeah. There's all, no stress. Oh, <laughs> good. Oh, good. Um. Well, it, my, what my dad said said was, "I make my fucking skin creep." Oh, <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of lands the point, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I will say it's as a. You said you were nine at the time. Yeah, I was about nine or eight at the time. Eight or nine at the time. Yeah. For that to stick in your head. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You must have had some sort of 
knowing of sexuality at that point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can, like, I can never remember being any different. And I like uh, what I mean by that is like, and I was, it, it was never a worry to me. I was never like shameful about my sexuality or, or, or that I was attracted to the same sex or that, you know, like through you know, growing up through infancy and primary school, I always had a boyfriend, a secret boyfriend that, you know, um, I was kind of like, there was no shame in it for me. It was, but I did know that it was, it was seen as, as a bad thing and that, that it was negative and, um, yeah, I mean, it, I think anyone who was growing up in that time uh, would have felt the, would have felt the same. So even in primary school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. I had, yeah, I mean, um, I can never remember not. Yeah, not. Yeah, I always had a, a special friend or a boyfriend that we would kiss or this, that, and the other or something. I mean, I can't ever remember. And not that I didn't like girls. I mean, I say like I just never wanted to kiss the girls. You know, as, as a um, as a you know, nine and ten year old, he's never wanted to kiss the girls. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this: Was this after you were molested, or um, before? See, this it, it, it gets a bit dark. I had, I had, um, yeah. This is this is where it becomes a bit complicated. I was molested twice by two different people in, in my younger years. Uh, once when I was about seven or eight, and the other time when I was uh, fourteen, fifteen. This is the first time wasn't. No, 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 I'm going to sound like I don't know how to put this in the words, but just say what you how you want to say it. And... Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I was. An, I was like a naughty kid. Um, but the boy who touched me, who was older, I wasn't scared of him like that. It wasn't like that. But it was. I knew it was naughty. It was wrong, and it only happened the once. So it wasn't. How do I, put this I don't know how to put this. It wasn't an, an, a bad, bad situation, but I do know now that it was absolutely, you know, um, an insult of some kind. Of being like a, a, a kid, yeah. But, um, no, I, I get what you mean. Just yeah, societal it's, norms it's, and everything. It's bad, yeah, but it's, as you're going through the moment, yeah, I wasn't scared. And I didn't feel afraid, and it was. I, I didn't feel dirty or anything after it. It's just like that was a secret I kept to myself for right up until I tried to tell my mum and dad I was gay. I tried to tell them about those experiences, but that was that was just um, yeah. It was. It's a memory I have, and it's it's not anything that I'm ashamed of. It was never. It wasn't. Hasn't scarred. I don't think that first time scarred me as the second time did. Oh okay. And then the second time, obviously, I take it was because it was he's an adult. Totally, yeah, against my will and what he tried to do, and um, he was he tried to be quite forceful. It just wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't, yeah, we'll move on from that. Yep, yep. You know, I've listened to, vi- I've watched videos, I've heard you, I've read parts of your book, and lots of stories on you. So I don't want to dwell on rugby a lot, even though it's a sports podcast. But I, I want to go over some of the highs and lows that you had in the sport. I had lots of highs. I mean, I, I love playing. I mean, the biggest high was just playing. Um, well, you know, I think probably the most favorite thing personally was the way the rugby league community accepted my sexuality and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of embraced me. And yeah, it was almost, yeah, yeah it was overwhelmingly but that was definitely the most positive experience I had in rugby league. I suppose the worst one was there was nothing too bad. Like when I say bad, bad that scarred me. There was things like losing grand finals and that type of thing are always upsetting. But they're mm-hmm. not they're not scary. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the beast. That's what rugby league is. I think, and I, I should say too at this moment, I want to talk about concussions later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Um, um, with yes, yeah, so probably the, 
the worst types of situations that occurred through rugby league was was you know like I said that it was the way the community embraced me when I came out and the way they were so accepting. But there was always that percentage who weren't. There was a couple of um, yeah. I, I, I think the uh, the negative comments were, were were very vocal and very loud as well. And that was probably a bit upsetting. Oh well, yeah, and before you came out, you've mentioned in quite a few articles that it was one of like the worst kept secrets. Oh, every, I mean, everyone, everyone knew I was gay. I mean, when I was in 1980, in 1990, when I went to Manly, I left South and went to Manly and it was kind of nice because at that point of time I was, I, I'd just been signed this record contract. It was, which was kind of um, good for my ego. And But my partner, you know, now, you know, um, team mascots, those big, oh, men, yeah. big folk, more, my partner was a team mascot for Manly. Like, and everyone knew we were gay. He was this big seagull that used to run around in his big foam suit and um, on game day. But, I mean, everyone knew back then. That was like a full five years before I came out uh, publicly. But, I mean, when I, when I, I, I think it's difficult because when you're gay, you have to keep coming out. You know, it's not, you don't just come out once. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd come out to my family at that stage. I'd... Um, I'd kind of come out to, to the team we just because, I mean, I used to take Shane to all the functions that we had or events that we had. Shane was always with me. Shane was, you know, um, so, yeah, when I came out publicly, it was just the media here had been really respectful to me and they hadn't, um, they hadn't pushed a question. I could tell a lot of times leading up to that in like 94, 95 when I came out that, that there were many journos who wanted to ask me that question, but out, out of respect, they didn't. Um, which I found really like I've I've always been grateful for. So yeah, I mean, I just when I came out publicly, it was just another step of I'm sure what every you know gay person and lesbian woman or gay man and lesbian woman understands. You, you, there's never just one coming out. You 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 seem to be coming out for the rest of your life once you start. Cause, I mean, I mean, even now when I meet people, I mean, who because it's been like 20 years since I retired from football and I'm not involved in the game so much. I, I do do a little bit of media stuff here and there, but when you meet people and I introduce. My, my partner Dan as my partner, you can still see there's a bit of shock or sometimes, not, not very often, but sometimes you're like, oh, you're gay. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure everyone gets, I mean, sure, I'm sure every lesbian, every, every gay man knows exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, definitely. And once again, I, I go back to your size. You're 6'5", and you are still built. Yeah. Was, so it, not that there's like stereotypes as much, but still, it's not yeah, like. There's a lot of pre, preconceived um, expectations that people have of gay people, and that you know, that I was like I was saying to you earlier about the, the Carry On team um, and and uh, Kenneth Williams, that that camp character who's in all those scenes. That people have that stereo, or they have the clone look. It was like the the, um, the documentary I mentioned that I was sitting on the lounge watching with my dad. It was there was two men, very that seventies clone look with with the big mo and um, whatever. It's a real clash for people who haven't been around or think they haven't been around people, gay people, uh, much in their life. When, when they meet someone, uh, I suppose, with my, my physique, it kind of goes against their, their idea of, 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 of what the, um, the imagery should be. Yeah, totally. But it's great. Like, it's wonderful. You know, it's like I, I mean, I still say that the, the, the bravest LGBTIQ people I, I, I meet are, are drag queens walking up and down the street. Like they're out there doing doing it, you know. They're out there. This is who I am, and I just, I mean, I, I love that bravado, and in the, you know, in your face, courage that, um, yeah, people can have. Yeah, um, that is true about drag queens too, because they're just all out there. 
they're just out there doing their thing, you know. It's like this is who I am. Go, go deal with it or move on. I'm just like they're so. I mean, yeah. But anyone who's self confident, you know, regardless of their sexuality, I'm always, I'm always, I always have a bit of admiration for that. It's that's um has a good sense of self and aren't uh, arrogant with it too. Before you come out, you are you going to like gay bars and? Oh yeah, I was, like I was a local. I was a regular. I started going. To, um, I started going to Oxford Street when. Oxford Street was Oxford Street. As you, I don't know, it, yeah, the last few years, it, it's really declined the, the whole Golden Mile because of, it, there's been some government laws passed here, lockout laws, and now things, the clubs not have to shut down at 12. It's just kind of killed that area off. But back in its heyday, I'm now talking like the early early 80s, I started going to Oxford Street when I was about 15. And because of my size, I could always get into clubs. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was wonderful. It was like it was it was fantastic later on like from 86 onward when i was when 86 onward when i was going yeah people when my profile on my inverted commas celebrity if that's what you want to call it was um yeah it was recognizable yeah 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 i got i got noticed a lot but um that was i mean you know but i i said earlier i, I never ever felt shameful about being gay mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I know it's a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a, a People find that difficult to understand sometimes, but I never felt bad about being gay. I, I could never understand why people couldn't understand it. Uh, and I knew that a lot of people, like my dad, my, my dad, I grew up in a very, very, I can look back now, in, in a household that was very homophobic, very racist, very sexist as well. Um, but I grew up in a, in, in a, in a home that was, there was a lot of love as well. So I, I mean, but that was only through education. And I, there's, um, my dad, when I when I first came out to my, my parents, my dad couldn't believe. Like one of the things he kept saying is, "I can't believe it. You you play for Australia." Like this, <laughs> he kept saying, "I can't believe it. You play for Australia. This is unbe- no, this is not right." But I will say, like years later, this is just before my dad passed away. It took a long time for my mum and dad to, to get their head around it. Like it mm-hmm. was, they were accepting. Like they, there was when I first came out in like ninety four, ninety five. There was a period of time there where I didn't see my family much because. I was like, well, if my partner can't come around and be treated the same as, as Kylie, Julie and Paul, that's my other siblings, their partners, then I'm not coming. It was almost like that. So I didn't see my family for about three or four years. Things, And that's, I mean, my story is no more tragic than, God, there are far worse, you know, more tragic stories when you talk to um, young people who are in the scene as, who get cast out and the families had nothing to do with them. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, and like, I, but my dad, my my parents came around in the end. Just before my dad passed away a few years ago, five about four years ago, we just had we had marriage equality uh, laws passed two years ago. And um, in the build up to that, and a couple of years before that, um, I remember my dad, my mum was asking me about Dan, my partner. Now we're asking, you know, would we ever get married? And we were talking out loud. My dad wasn't sitting. My dad wasn't in on the conversation. But I just remember the way. He put his paper down. He was sitting on the lounge. He put his paper down and turned around and spoke to us. He says, why shouldn't you be allowed to marry the person you're in love with? And then picked his paper. My dad was a man of really few words, but it was like the most powerful thing my dad's ever said to me. Oh, wow. So like, you so get it, Dad. Like at long last, you so get it. You know, you so- That's nice you had that. Oh, it's wonderful. It's like my great- you asked me what – yeah, you asked me before what my nicest memory would be. That would be it. Yeah. You played for – I played for South. What, four teams? Um, I played for yeah. I played for. Um, I started at South. I was a South junior. I came up through their lower grades. I had a season over an off season over in Wigan, over in England. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I started at South in '86. I went to Manly in 1990. 
And I went to the Cowboys in 97. Yeah, I had a, you, a fairly long-ish career. Do you have a favorite team, you could say, because of what you accomplished and because of what was going on in your life, or are they all equally? You know, I kind of I'm kind of have real, a soft spot for all, all, all three teams here in Australia that I played with because I do only have nice, wonderful memories of, of – um, of my time at, at any of those clubs. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose growing up, my family was a South Sydney supporting family. I'm a South Sydney nuts. So I, I suppose if push came to shove, I'd say South, but they're all pretty fond. I have pretty fond memories of all those clubs I played at. So in 2004, when you were named to the dream team for South yeah. Sydney, what, uh, what was that moment like for you? Uh, that was not, I mean, yeah, it's nice to be, rec- nice to be, yeah, we've all got egos. Um, uh, it was it was a compliment. It was like um, for me, I, I, I kind of left South under under a, a bad situation. I said that I you know I, I went to Manly because I went to Manly because I was getting paid a lot more money there. I would be getting paid a lot more money there, and that didn't that didn't sit well with the, with the with the South Sydney community, the fans, and that. But I, it was almost it was it was nice to be recognised in in their dream team. Because it kind of set all that aside, any ill feeling or, or or bad blood between us. And then a year later, you're named the 25 greatest ever New South Wales players. Yeah, so that's you're just getting like... all these different accolades. <laughs> it's nice. I mean, it's it's always nice to be recognised. I mean, it doesn't really mean. I mean, it's it's wonderful your for your ego and a little boost of ego, ego it does, and I get the chance to wobble my head every so often, you know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful to be recognised, but um, yeah, and it's 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 nice to be able to look back with fond memories. And but it's it's yeah, it's nice to be it's nice to be recognised like that. But it's you know I, I've got to say, Randy, I mean I loved playing. Everything, all that stuff was just a bonus because I really loved playing footy. I mean I loved it. I, I mean I so was like passionate about it. But mm-hmm. but the truth is, I mean, and you know, it's not brain surgery. We're not saving lives. Yeah, mostly because because we we love doing it, um, and and the, the the recognition, the celebrity, and, and the financial rewards, particularly now what the players are on, uh, they're, they're almost a bonus. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's, I, I think what as a player you forget though that you're also helping, you know, parents and kids and families and friends have these memories built around you playing a game that you loved. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I, and I'm so appreciative of that. I mean, I, I'm, that's, you know, it's that's one of the things that, that it, I'm so grateful for. That um, just something as simple as just being yourself, playing the sport. You know, have, being lucky enough to have my dad encourage me that that year when I was like 17, 18, when I was going to give it away. Also, I mean, and, and the gay thing about coming out and and helping people that way as well. It's been like such a blessing. I mean, I mean that seriously. It's like it's so wonderful that just being true to yourself can help other people. Oh, yeah. For me, I mean, this is a big moment for me. So you, even though, you know, we were miles and miles apart and rugby wasn't a key sport for me growing up, knowing about you and hearing about you when I was 20 was a huge deal. Really? So I, oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird because I, I never thought. I mean, I, I mean, I, I lived in, I lived in the states for five or six years from, um, from about two thousand three onwards, and when I was trying to act, and I, I was, I mean, I, I was wonderfully surprised by how many people had heard about my story because I, did, I didn't, when it was happening, not, I didn't think 
that it got much traction in, in the US. But mm-hmm. you know, it's so nice to hear those stories. Had you can yeah. I ask you, Randy? Can I, can I ask you? Had you heard the story about Justin Fashion You? Um, no. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, I have now. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. At the yeah. moment, no. Yeah. At, at that moment, yeah. 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 I was just curious. That's all. Because I mean, I, I, that was one of the reasons in 1990 when Justin came out over in England, in. in UK, who was playing Premiership soccer there, mm-hmm. uh, and he was he was a big deal as well. He was like uh, Premier League. He was the highest played, um, and I, 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 I don't even know if this is politically correct to say anymore. But when he signed his contract, he was the highest played man, person of colour. It sounds awful, but that, that that was actually a term they used. Mm-hmm. Uh, a million a million pounds. It was he was the first person black man to sign a million pound contract, and they made a real big thing of it. And then um, then he came out. And I, I remember the because in 1990 when he came out, I was going to come out publicly here in in Australia in 1989 90 when I went to Manly. I was just going to get it all out there because everyone knew about it. But because I heard of Justin's situation and what he went through, and the media were terrible to him, the English community were awful. Yeah, he, he really suffered. It kind of really changed my mind about coming out. It changed. Uh, that's why I left it for a couple of years, like four years, I think. And I think Justin retired in 1994 when I came out in the Advocate magazine. And then four years later, he committed suicide. Such a tragic story. Did you ever get a chance to talk to him? No, I mean, I reached out. It's funny. I mean, I, I did actually reach out to him in, in like, um, I was at Manly at the time, so it would have been in the early 90s. Um, but you got to remember at that time that there was no internet. There was like a literally right. wrote letters, wrote, literally wrote letters. But yeah, I never heard nothing back. I mean, everyone's got, everyone's story is tragic or, or, or inspirational, depending on how you look at it. You know, it's like, it's one of those mm-hmm. situations. So just his story, but was for me, was, was a real game changer. It really changed my, it really impacted me because I, I didn't think at that time it would be such such a catastrophic i didn't think he would be treated so unfairly and so vindictively yeah it was because when he first when i first heard i mean i only read it in one of the gay magazines like i said where there was no internet mm-hmm. and i was like i was elated i was like oh my god I was, it was almost like this whole coming out thing for me it was like wonderful and there's someone else out there yeah and like the really negative article soon followed like there was basically he had a week of celebration and then everything after that was tragic how did the fans treat you when you came out? Well, wonderful. Like there was so well, like I said, like it's like anything. It's good and bad. Like most people were were fantastic. I mean, part of one of the reasons I I felt compelled to come out when I did was because my mum and dad used to come to all the games and my family, my friends and that, and they would because it was well known I was gay. There was always negative. There was always negative comments being shouted at me. There was a lot of positive comments as well, but there was always. You know, if Robert's your faggot and that type of thing from the sidelines, I used to feel, I mean, this, you can love people. I mean, I love my parents. I love my friends and, and my partner and, and, and my relations. But there's only, you can't protect people from everything as much as you want to. There's certain things you just can't protect people from. And it wasn't, and it was learning that difference. It's like in the end, because my dad, when I originally told him I was gay, he said to me, like, oh, they'd heard people all that time screaming things. He'd always thought it wasn't true and this, that, and the other. And it comes to the point where you, I just said, Dan, I can't protect you from everything. I can't protect you from things I have no control over. And, and I think it, it was accepting that, that accepting that in myself. It's like you just can't. All I can do is try to be a better version of myself or try to be the best that I can be. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, yeah, I think that's, that, that's really difficult. It's just for me that, that was a, a real turning point. It's like I can't help you, Dad. I, like I'm who I am and, and like – if I've got to be worried that your feelings are getting hurt all the time, 
because I'm just being me. I, I, I can't do anything else. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to get at there. Oh, no, totally. Yeah, that was a real learning curve for me, but accepting that point, it's like you can't be responsible for other people. I think we covered rugby. Pretty good. Pretty good. Very I do want to talk about, what was that? I said I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, let's talk about concussions first. Actually, I have one more question I want to ask. Yep. Um, the, the athletes I've spoken to already, when they've come out, they say that their game gets better and usually, I mean, maybe just small amounts. It almost seems like because of the player you were and the type of game you played, keeping it in while it was tormenting your personal life, it almost seems like it made your game better. Yeah, I kind of had a bit of a ferocious... Um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, if people were going to, going to describe the type of player I was, I, I kind of had that. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I, I, I understand exactly what you're asking me. I can't remember if I ever felt like I needed to prove myself because I was gay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I say that with all honesty in the world. Like, I can't remember a moment where I thought I need to step up or do something more because I'm gay. If if that makes sense. I mean, it's I. I think for me when I came out, it was just it was just a relief. It was just like mm-hmm. oh, God, I don't have to pretend for everyone else anymore. It was that whole thing about you can't protect people? It was that whole thing about ah, oh, and my game actually did improve. But I mean, I also think as an athlete, my game was improving. Yeah, how how do you think it improved because you came out, or is that something you could really answer? Yeah, I don't know if I can. I, I don't know if I can really answer. All I do know is that. Just the the relief of the stress and and the, and the burden of, of of having to pretend all the time and and like play those silly games with people who know you're gay and you know they know you're gay but you both don't talk about it and mm-hmm. like for all the for all that type of stuff to be lifted and like swept away and it was it was just and I but every person who's when they come out must feel it particularly you know when they were in, in their work environment just like it's such a relief just like oh i don't have to pretend anymore it's just like yeah we, we can just be real we could just like we could just be real now so i mean that's got to improve anyone's state of mind and, and then i would say improve your state of play yeah that makes sense in march 2014 you revealed that playing rugby caused some brain damage how did that come about how did you determine that's what was going on I was involved in a, in a in a study here. There was um, a study involving fifty men. Twenty five were ex players about my age, and twenty five were play, were men of the same age who hadn't played contact sports. We, we had CAT scans and some other brain scans. We had cognitive testing. This, that, and the other. All twenty five of the men who had played contact sport had a form of, of brain damage, mm-hmm. scarring on the brain. And I mean, so, I mean, I use the word brain damage because a lot of people like to tiptoe around that that issue because it's because it's an uncomfortable word it's an uncomfortable expression to use and um brain damage but that's exactly what it is every time you have concussion you're it's brain damage every time someone has a concussion regardless if they're playing sport they trip over and bang their head it's 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 brain it's a form of brain damage Mm -hmm. playing the sport that i that we did that i did there's no way i mean i the science is a lot better today than it was 30 years ago and the cognitive testing and, and, and that type of thing. I I first started to notice something was a little bit slippy or a bit, bit different when I was over in the States doing auditions because uh, I'd always been quite good at auditions with remembering my lines. I just remember there was a period of time there, yeah, I just wasn't as sharp in my audition. 
I just like I didn't know if I, I didn't really put anything down to it. And there was a moment that I um, that I like kind of blacked out. It, was tw- it happened twice on different two different occasions. The first time was was I lost. I call it losing time. I was driving my my truck, and the next thing I, I kind of knew, I was at home. I didn't. There was almost like a period of like ten minutes that I couldn't remember. Um, and that happened twice. The second time I was in my unit. And then I was in the shower. Then I was on the bed. It was just this really weird, yeah, not knowing. And I hadn't, like, obviously I hadn't collapsed or anything. I'd, I'd gone about because I'd, I'd gotten there, but I just couldn't remember uh, that, that 10-minute period in between. So when I came back to Sydney, I uh, went and had some testing done. Um, I got in touch with uh, a couple of people from uh, Deakin University, which is a university in Melbourne. They were, And it was just coincidentally, they were doing a, this um, test study. So yeah, I became a part of that. It's almost like it's just something people need to be aware of, like play contact sports. Yeah, there's there's that potential. Um, yeah, now that now they have the concussion protocol for a lot of sports yeah, too. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely, it is something they're thinking of for the players. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's just like I didn't really have an issue saying it because it's, like, well, it's just yeah, yeah. If it if it can help some other people realize it, they just need to be aware. So you retire from the game, and how quickly do you already know that you want to go into acting? Uh, Randy, I I used to be a part of the ensemble at school, like the, the um, acting troupe at school. Uh, I was always involved in plays and this that, and the other at school, so it was something I always loved anyway. But at thirty six, I think it was when I uh, had retired, and um, my this is a true story. My, literally, my car had broken down on the street. And when I was walking from where I was walking from the car to the garage to, to get someone to come and fix it or tow it away, I walked by a, um, NIDA, which is our National Institute of Dramatic Arts. It's our mm-hmm. number one uh, acting school. And I just thought oh, I'll just pop in there and ask if there's someone there who can help me out, maybe it's a bit of what I want type training. I met um, uh, a gentleman named uh, Kevin Jackson who became he's my mentor. He's such a wonderful human being. Kevin kind of um, – took me under his wing a bit, but I, I didn't think that I was going to study there. I thought at 36, I'd be too old. And then after a year of, of having classes with Kevin, he just said, well, you, you know, try and audition for the, uh, for the degree, the three year study. That's what I did. And I ended up getting in, which was great. I've been kind of working on and off in the industry ever since. I can't imagine being the person at the front desk when you walk in. <laughs> I mean, it had to shock someone. I, you know, this is going to, in a, in a even weirder, weirder situation. The person who was on the front desk was actually an old friend of mine, a, a, a gay guy I knew, um, and it was just purely by chance. But um, but I, I I get what you say. So I was kind of fortunate though that, that I knew the person. That is that's crazy. That's what a uh, a coincidence and just yeah, the whole just, thing. Just pure luck. Yep. Yeah. Break down at that moment. Go to this place. You have a, someone you know there. Yeah, and then yeah. three years later, you have the degree. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was such that three or four years of being an Ida was the most. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, I almost felt like I, I had a chance to relive my youth and, and childhood and and be this kid who could play. It was okay just to mess around and do nothing. It was such a wonderful experience, and just to be creative every day. Just like it was so. It was such a whereas sport had been like a physical outlet. This was like a real intellectual release for me. It was wonderful. I mean, I learned how to read and write properly when I was there through phonetics because I was always a really bad speller and reader growing up. Phonetics, which anyone who's aware of phonetics would know that um, their alphabet has like thirty six symbols, and every mm-hmm. sound, every sound, every letter has a, a, an absolute specific um, 
sound every letter. And I kind of learned to read and write properly. It, it was wonderful. This whole, that whole three or four years I was there was yeah, such a reawakening for me. And then once you graduate from there, how long do you does it take you to go to LA? Probably about uh, probably about three or four years. And, and I was then, in, so in, in two thousand two. Sorry, go. On. Oh, sorry. In two thousand two, you were in Star Wars Episode two. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that funny. It was that just like a bit part? Oh, that was just enough. I mean, it was. I was so like, wonderful that people even know that because I'd forgotten about that. I got, I got reminded about that quite recently. I was like, oh yeah, I was in the bar scene, wasn't I? I was just because I was a huge Star Wars fan, and um, uh, because of Super League and the News Limited connection there, and and Fox. I, I told a friend I was, and he got me in on a couple of days' work there, uh, working in the bar. So that, that's all that was. It was just wonderful to, to be on set, and yeah, it was wonderful to meet George Lucas and on all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you enjoy your time in LA? I took me a couple of years to get my head around LA first, and what I mean by that is because it's so transient. And my partner and I were, were there together uh, for, for for a couple of years, which was great. We we got to see a lot of LA and a lot of California up and down the coast. It took me. Then Dan went. Um, Dan came home. Um, Dan's a school teacher, but we, you know, we're still we're, we stay together. We're still together now. But um, he didn't. He wasn't uh, over enthusiastic about the education system in, in America and in the way. <laughs> yeah, he was very disappointed. So he came back here, and I, I stayed over there. Um, it took me a couple of years to get my head around LA and to understand LA. I know it seems a bit weird because most people, LA's, I think people forget about LA's, it's a desert. You know, literally, oh, yeah. It's a desert. It's always hot. It's always going to be uncomfortable. It's always dusty. And when you, when you, I know it sounds a bit weird, because, but because you, you, can, you think it's, and it is the entertainment center, you know, the center of the universe, um, but you, the, the reason is, I mean, it's obvious the reason it's built in a, in a desert is because it's always sunny. It's exactly why they did it. You know, it was like um, LA was always this, like it almost felt like a wasteland. I mean, this like dry. But after after about two years, I kind of fell in love with LA and the fact that because I'd been there a while and I I um, obviously got to now make uh, some friends. I I mean I'd move back to LA tomorrow. I'd, I'd live in LA tomorrow. Oh really? Yeah, I love LA. Do you think you'll ever move back? We nearly moved back there a couple of years ago, just um, for, for family reasons. We, we couldn't in the end. Um, but uh, I I would love to think. That at some point, Dan and I will go back to LA. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I. When you sorry, go, go ahead. No, I mean it was. I mean, um, family is my, my my father passed away, and we uh, we I kind of came back because my father was not well. Then um, then my father passed away. Dan and I have stayed because of my mum and you know his mum. So, so uh, yeah, that's. But I, I can definitely see us going back to LA. Uh, when you do, you call return to acting, or well, you're still acting in Australia oh, yeah, still too. Acting. Yeah, I'm, I'm just. Um, well, I will say that, Randy. If I had to survive on my acting paychecks alone, I'd go pretty hungry. I'd be so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. It's like like acting, but 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 the thing that's what, what I loved about LA is always work. I was always, you know, the four years I was there, I was working all the time. I mean, it wasn't all high quality stuff, but I was always on set, and you're always doing something creative. Um, if you've got a bit of finesse. Um, technically, like you can get on um, your computer and, and, and you're familiar with all the different websites. You make yourself familiar with all the way. There's so much work you can do in LA. You can be out auditioning every day. In, Aust- in Australia, there's just 
there's not, and particularly in Sydney, well, not particularly, but in Sydney, there's just not that opportunity. You know, if we get if we get a, an audition once every, you know, two weeks here, that's that's doing pretty good. Yeah, so it's the industry here is very small. But I mean, I'm actually working on a on an ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Commission, is um, show at the moment called uh, Les Norton. What's yeah. that about? It's uh, it's 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 a bit of a it's set in the eighties. It's actually set in nineteen eighty four. It's a, it's a it's a rugby league game. It's, it's and it's a real ocker. I say that word. I don't know if you know what that word means. A really ocker Australian ocker type character. It's a, he's a real yobber. I don't know. If, I don't know if there's. If well, there's, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know if those slang terms. Yeah, um, translate. Um, well, it's, it's someone who's very very Australian, really broad, real broad Aussie. Well, they, they've toned it down a lot. But th- there was a series of books in um, Les Norton books. Back in the early '90s, it's about this, this character, this country character, comes to town, plays footy. He's a standover bloke. It's a comedy, but it's um, the TV series, as compared to the the books, are very different. It's very been very sanitized for the TV series. Is but that it's still, slang term? Yeah, it's, it's Ocker. Yeah, is that like how it's we a, had Crocodile Dundee? Yeah, you'd say he was a bit of an ocker, yeah. yeah. He was definitely okay. a bit of an ocker, yeah, yeah. He was someone who's very Australian, very, yeah, have, would have that that real broad Aussie accent, you know. How you going? You all right? Yeah, bloody dry, eh? That really okay. drawn out, yeah. Anyway, so keep an eye out for it. You'll love it. <laughs> I, I, I definitely will look for it. Yeah. So back in when you were in L.A., I want to ask you about Superman Returns because obviously in the news the last few years, what was your experience with Kevin Spacey? Because obviously your character was his bodyguard, basically. Uh, you know, I was like, when I got the gig to do Superman Returns, that's like, um, for me, as a, this, this, Superman was my favorite superhero. Like, I can't tell you, when I got that gig, I was like, oh. And I got a, well, I thought it was going to be a speaking gig. They told me it was originally, it was, a, it was a, there was a lot more dialogue. But anyway, but, but then I found out I'd be working with Kevin Spacey, and I was a huge fan of Kevin Spacey. Like, a huge, huge fan of Kevin Spacey. And I just, like, I was so looking forward to meeting him, and because and, he, he'd just been appointed, um, I think he was CEO of um, uh, Bill Shakespeare, not Bill Shakespeare, the... Um, the CEO. Globe. Yeah, um, yeah, he just got, he'd just been appointed CEO of all that. And I was just, and, like, because my training was was uh, Shakespeare. Like, it, it, for NIDA and that, we, you know, it was theatric. We did mostly um, theatre stuff. Anyway, and, and classic theatre stuff. So I was, like, really looking forward to seeing him and meeting him. I thought, we, I, I thought, because I hadn't done any big jobs at that stage, I thought, you know, you'd, uh, I thought it would just be, be wonderful, like, get an opportunity to talk to him and, and think, like, First time I got the first day, we actually had some dialogue. The first scene, I didn't meet I didn't meet him until literally action. You know, until until it was like he was he kept to himself. He was I was just disappointed. That's all because I was just he he slowly came out of his shell a bit over the period of like we we did that we worked together. We did that shoot. It was only like ten weeks, but I was I was just. I just saw this person who had all this potential to do it, and there were so many people wanting to meet him and, and to do good. I just, it was kind of weird because I, I kind of thought you have such an opportunity to change things if you wanted to. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't even know, this is now back in 2004, we're on set, 2003, I didn't know that he wasn't out. And I was talking about, like, I was talking about my partner and, and making jokes and, <laughs> I got, I got told by an assistant to tone it down because Kevin's not because Kevin's not gay. And I was like, what? I'm, just, <laughs> I'm like, 
and I didn't want to say, oh, come on, he's lucky it's a big queen. I didn't want to say, like, but, 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 but oh, no, that sounds nice. I'm like, you can't be serious. And then it, things just were put back in perspective a bit. I was just like, oh, well, okay. But I went, you know, to, to, I mean, I, yeah, his situation is escalated. It's, it's a horrible situation, but he, he did, he, he did do, I mean, he did reach out and do something like he, we had one conversation right at the end of the shoot. He, he said some really nice stuff. It was nice. It was, it, I, yeah, I, I can't fault him on that. But I, I was really disappointed to find out that he wasn't, that he was closeted. I just, I didn't know. It was, I didn't, I, you know, I was, I was blown away. I can only assume, too, that he was jealous a little bit just because you were out. You were being successful as a of athlete, successful acting now. You're getting well, bigger I, roles. I mean, it sounds terrible. Yeah, on that shoot, you had Kevin um, Spacey and Bleeding um, Singer, right? Brian, Brian Singer. And it's like, it's almost like, oh, shit, guilty for association. It's almost like, oh, fuck. I mean, I remember having a, oh, my God. Like, it was almost a bit of, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, oh, anyway, I mean, that, but, but in saying that, you know, Brian, uh, Brian could be nasty, actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brian could be very nasty. I would, that just really disappointed me. It was just, I don't have time for shit like that. And I, like, I got in trouble. Yeah, I got in trouble twice, on, or three times on set because I'm like, fuck, I'm a, tell me to go and get fucked. Oh, no, sorry. It's <laughs> okay. Like, you're fine. Yeah, like, I'm, you know, no one needs to put up with that shit. And what's like, particularly seeing other, those people abuse other people, that, that just did my head in. Just like, well, you got, hey, pull your head in, mate. That's not cool. We don't do that over here. You've been so easy to talk to, Randy. It's just been like having a conversation. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I what I was expecting, but I've done I've done a few podcasts and, and like um, interview. Obviously, done a few interviews in my time. It's it's just really nice. When you have a you have an ability to to put your your um, your interviewee yeah, at ease, mate. It's it's a nice it's a nice quality. Yeah. Wow! Thank you so much. That. Means a lot. I'm keeping that in the podcast because, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah like, but <laughs> sorry, I, I have to be honest with you. No, it's okay. I like every few minutes, I'm like, I am talking to Ian motherfucking Roberts. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird. You're like hearing you say that. That's, and we've just spoken about the whole Kevin Spacey thing, and it's just like my moments have been, um, like working with Kate Blanchard, I worked with her for one day on this small Australian movie. I was, she was so fantastic. Like, she was, she was. It was almost like I was so like I can't believe I'm talking to you, and you're talking like she was so wonderful. And that's the way I had envisioned like people with with, with success and um, enormous success to be like to be happy about it and to share it and to, like to know that they're, you know, this to, to know that they're in such a fortunate position. Yeah. yeah, I get it. <laughs> I want to talk about Saltwater, the movie you did. With that was Ronnie. an independent film. With Ronnie. Ronnie, I love Ronnie. Ronnie Kerr, he's the other guy in it. Um, Ronnie, it's, he's my, my best friend in LA. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's... You, you should actually reach... He's got a great story. Like, he... Oh, my God, I got to know Ronnie. He became my best friend in LA. I, I love the guy. He's he, he's done quite a few of those independent movies that he funds himself. They're incredibly low budget. But they've got, they've got. Um, I know he hasn't. Well, actually, he hasn't done a couple. He hasn't done them for a couple of years now. But prior to that, he they were churning him a couple out every year. Um, he, it's funny because I watched the movie, and when he's by himself or with the other cast, he looks like a big dude, and you know he's built and stuff like that. But then he gets next to you, and he looks so <laughs> tiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, I'm, I know I'm bigger than your average bear, but um, I and I'm of, sorry. I'm no, sorry. I, I, I need to stop forward. talking about your body because it'll yeah. make it appear different. No, oh yeah, well, uh, well, well you, you, okay. Well, you, you do whatever you need to do, but don't. I haven't. I, I haven't at one moment thought like that. Like I haven't thought that's. Yeah, I just. It, it is. It is what it is. Like I, I totally get that I'm like I said, bigger than your average bear. Um, I forget that myself all the time. I mean, I forget that all the time. Is like when I'm, I'm with people and, and you'll see yourself in a reflection of Mary and say, oh shit, I forget how big I am sometimes. <laughs> and, like, and, and as you get older, I don't know why, but I, I think people, I think I look like I'm, I'm, I'm more menacing now than what I like. And I don't like that feeling. Like it's, it's one of those things, being a big person, and I think anyone who's big would understand what I'm about to say. When you walk into a room, it's like getting on, getting on a train or on a bus. Sometimes because you're so big, you can feel people like almost take breath or, or or oh shit, he look look looks a bit, and I that's why I think a lot of big men have soft voices, good to make themselves smaller. I mean, I get told all the time. My biggest problem when I was at NIDA at school was my voice. I was I didn't have a big enough voice, and I still don't have a big enough voice now. Even though it's much better now than it was ten years ago. But I, I do believe that's why a lot of big men have small voices is to lessen the, the impact of their size. Yeah, it makes sense because, like you said, there's no way to. Just hide in the corner of a room. I mean, yeah. you walk in, you are. Yeah, sometimes the, you feel people tense, tense up, or you walk. But I just and I get it. It's just like ah, oh, I get it. But you kind of forget. Yeah, yeah. It is. It can. It, it can become, I suppose, a little intimidating or uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's go back to the movie Saltwater. Was that a risk for you to play an actual gay character? Yeah, and I, I was, but I, yes. Well, no. Oh, yes, I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> um, and a risk, I mean, like in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. I mean, because even now, I think now it's more loose. But at the time, six, seven years ago. Yeah, I I, I always said that I wasn't going to play any gay characters f- f- while, while I was over there. But, yeah, I hadn't got any leading roles or supporting leads for a long time. I, I'd always been like these characters, these warm I'm, I've, I have done a, a few supporting leads. But I was always this, this caricature of some other per like this other Big, what we just started talking about my size and that. So the whole thing about um, doing salt water, I just, yeah, it was the first time I was offered this, le- offered a lead through the whole, and I was like, I just, it's almost like I don't need to protect anyone from anything. There's a lot we were talking about before. It's like I don't know what I'm protecting. This is it was it was a good it was a great chance to work with Ronnie, my friend, and I think that's why. I mean, I I, I really like that movie, but I mean, I suppose I like it for different reasons. I like it because it was working with Ronnie and my whole memory about the, the I think we filmed that in like three weeks. The whole uh, journey of that, that movie w- was fantastic. And yes, it was a little bit of a gamble, but you know, it's, it's like at home here, I, for going for adverts, commercials and, and auditions, nine times, no, no, most times I'm, I, I don't stand a chance, even if I fit this, the, uh, the spec perfectly, because I'm always going to be Ian Roberts, that gay footballer. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like I, I get that all the time. I just like you know, I go for commercial for car commercials where I'm playing a father. I'm always going to be Ian Roberts first before I'm just a father on the screen. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. So I carry that. I I, I get that. So now I'm just like, if someone offered me a gay role, I it wouldn't be it wouldn't I it wouldn't be an issue whatsoever. Like I I've kind, I think I've kind of matured in my own uh, opinion about myself as well. It's just like why are you worried about that? Just yeah, if it's if it's good, if it's creative, and you enjoy the script, I yeah, I I was a bit hard on myself about that for a long time because up until Salt Water, I didn't 
I didn't take. I, I did. I had been offered or auditioned and that for um for, for gay roles, but I'd always turned them down in the end. I, yeah, I, I kind of salt water kind of changed that perspective for me. It's just like that's no, cool. Like if if I have to do gay films, the rest of my life be wonderful. You po- I mean, you post on what Blue magazine years ago. Yeah, Blue. So, yeah, if you like, that was, was that was interesting. Was that? I <laughs> mean, <laughs> and that had to be like taboo at the yeah. time. Yeah, because I was nude as well. Um, well, not really nude, but I mean, um, there was no penis shots, um, no, no, no willy shots. Um, yeah, it it was it was almost a way of it was that, that I did that blue magazine before I came out. It was like literally a couple of months before I came out. It was released a couple of months before I came out. That was almost a stepping stone because in in the article I talk about being different being outside the norm within rugby league circles and, and I, I did everything except say I was gay I mean anyone reading that article you know um, anyone reading that article would have read between the lines and, and said oh he's coming out but when I actually came out in the advocate magazine 1994 it was like yeah it was never just a and then it, it kind of got a bit of traction in Sydney like I said this is before the days of the internet the the, 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 the media didn't pick that up because there was no internet and this that, and the other, yeah, I came out almost like a full year in America before than I did in uh, in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah. You mentioned Dan a few times. Let's talk about him. How did you guys meet? That's a good subject to, to talk about. Um, Dan, um, we met in a gay sauna. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, we've been like together ever since. Well, yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> when was, was that? Uh, we've been together 14 years now, so 2000. I mean, people, the reason I said it like that, I'm not trying to make a point of that, but people, I felt like sometimes, you know, where did you meet? What, you know, what, if I said, oh, we just met in a club, I feel like I'm, I'm just like, oh, but we didn't, it's hard to explain. It's just like, oh, there's nothing wrong with the way we met. I mean, it doesn't matter where you meet someone, you know, if you meet them at a bus stop, that's just as valid as naked at, 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 a, at a sex club. But I, I remember I had a bit of an issue with that. Yeah, Dan's really cool with it too. Um, well, yeah, it's like apps now, you know. Yeah, yeah, guys absolutely. Guys are meeting on apps and getting married. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. maybe not their intention when they first meet the person, but that's yeah. what happens because relationships yeah. develop. Yeah, that's, and that's what I meant about, you know, if you meet someone at a bus stop, it's just as valid. Do you guys think you'll ever get married? Probably not. And we were all, I mean, we were pro, you know, equality, absolutely. Uh, and we, but, you know, and we, we both believe absolutely that you, the LGBTIQ community should have the same rights to validate their relationships as, as our straight peers. But I, and Dan's a bit the same as me, I always grew up not thinking I would ever get married. And I don't think I need to get, Dan, and Dan feels the same, I almost feel like because I've always been told I would never get married and, you know, I was, uh, I was always going to be, um, I remember when I first told my parents, I was terrified that I was going to be lonely and, and, and desperate and uh, destitute. But I just, I don't think marriage absolutely validates a relationship. And that's how Dan and I both feel. We just, um, we have no, we love each other dearly. Like everything I have is, is his and everything he has is mine. We all have, you know, like this. Joint bank accounts and everything, properties are all in both. Like it's, it's a relationship. Yeah. But I mean, I I so believe that if, if gay people want to get married, you know, they should be allowed to to, have, you know, to endure that suffering. And uh. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying because if it's if it's not a religious thing for you, yeah, all yeah. it is really is the government saying yes, you're legally together. Which why that should matter doesn't it shouldn't. I mean, I went to my um my first serious boyfriend's wedding 
last year, Shane, the one that used to get around in the um, Seagull mascot for when I was playing for Manly, he got married was it last year. Yeah, last year. I mean, and my both my two ex partners, Shane and Andrew, I'm still really really close with them. They're my family. They're part of my family. Yeah, so I'm kind yeah, of that's like, awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah. This has been a lot of fun to talk with you, more than you will ever know. Um, I usually end my podcast with the final 20 questions I ask every guest. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, superpower. The, <laughs> I was going to ask this the other day, actually. You know, it would be to make all, all, all straight men gay. No. Um, <laughs> just, just for a day, just to spite them. You know what I mean? Oh, that, that was your answer? That was my answer, yeah. yeah. Just, oh, okay. just, 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 just uh, to make all straight people gay just for a day. Oh, that's amazing. If you could pick a personal theme song, what song would you choose? I don't know, just YMCA. I don't know why that comes to head, to, to mind. I could see me. Oh, oh, oh Peter Allen. When my baby smiles at me, I go to Rio. I know that YMCA. Who is your first celebrity crush? Brad Pitt. Okay. If you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Someone like Albert Einstein, I think, would be fascinating. Well, I don't know. No, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm a bit of a science nerd, so I'd have to say Albert. Okay. What is the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? We've just, oh God, we've just had a, um, an election over here. But there's nothing interesting about that. Um, what is? Do you have time to watch TV? Do you watch TV? Do you have a streaming obsession? Um, just started watching Counterpart. I mean, but but I'm like I'm I'm I watch I yeah I like splurge. I, I just go crazy. I indulge too much. I'll sit there and watch them for days. Okay. Oh God, yeah. Counterpart I'm watching at the moment. It's wonderful. All right. Which fictional character would you like to meet in real life? North Star. North Star. Oh. What's that? No, no um, fictional. North Star was the first gay comic hero to come out. Oh, okay. If animals could talk, which animal would be the most annoying? I have two cats. I love them to death. But I, I'd so read their minds sometimes. They could be so bitchy. I would say my cats. <laughs> All right. Who inspires you? It's it's kind of weird. It's just um, what do you what, what do you take inspiration from? I am. Yeah, I mean, it, people take from all over. Family, yeah. here, sports heroes. Yeah, just um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose it's a boring answer, but my just my mum and and the, her journey over the last like ten years since losing my dad and um, the gains that she's made as an individual and just. Being becoming like almost my mum's become self aware in, in the last few years since she's not had my dad to depend on and lean on and and run a life. She's um her, her the whole arc in my mum's life over the last five years has been so wonderful to be a part of, and I've become really really close with my mum because of it. That's that's nice to hear. That's good. What is your favorite word? Polyp. <laughs> what is yeah. your least? You have to say it right, but polyp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What is your least favorite word? Oh, you know, I hate this. I'm going to sound like such a. I hate the word fart. People always use it. Oh, I hate it. I hate that word. It just um, conjures up such a. Oh, it, it seems like such, a, and it is it's such a dirty word. It's such a such a hard word. It's such a like sharp edged word. Fart. It's like it, it sounds. Yeah, it sounds like a blade. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Telling the story of the underdog. I mean, that's that's. A, I mean, that's a bit of a cliche, I suppose. But the underdog who just keeps chipping away. Um, yeah, the, 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 even even when they when it's not failed because I mean, it was, if you tried, you haven't failed. But 
even when they're not su- not 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 successful, those people who just keep going at it and going at it, yeah. And, and as no, and what I mean by that is, there's no, there's no chance of a success even. Like, but, but they, it's it's something they have to keep doing. Yeah, I think that type of character is is pretty inspirational. What turns you off? Just when people belittle other people. I think yeah, it's just it's so easy. It's so easy. It, it's so easy to get along in this world. I just wonder why so many people don't. Like, it's just so easy to to get along. Like, just to um, smile or or just yeah. I just things like that always fascinate me. How some people will get into a lift, never never acknowledge someone or never not acknowledge the other people. You get into this space where you, this. And I mean, just to say good day or how you going, stuff like that. I I, I, mm-hmm. I find it's so easy to be to to, to make things easier. Yeah, it is. What is your favorite curse word? I mean, oh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, fuck is so. It's. It's, it's just so easy. Uh, but but you know, it's it, it's it's so. It, you can adjust it to so many different things. It's like it's you know, fuck the fucking fuck the fucking fucker, the fucking fucker's fucked. You know, like I, I just said, fuck twelve times. It made a sentence, but like you know, it's like. <laughs> You get, but it's true. Like fuck it, no, fuck you, it's fuck one fuck word with many, many meanings. Yeah, that's why I think it's it's so um, it's so appropriate too, and it's okay. yeah, it can be a loving word as well. What sound or noise do you love? Sounds, noises do I love? Um, I do. I, yeah, this sounds a bit silly, but I do love my cat when he's purring. There's like nothing better. Cat, cat comes and sleeps, kind of gets on, sits on your chest, and that purr happens, and he yeah. starts butting you. Yeah. What sound or noise do you hate? The brakes on bloody buses. Okay. Oh yeah, the air brakes disengaging. Does my head in. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I, if I hadn't become, if I hadn't got involved in sport, I would have got involved with animals. Become a, like I, I, I think because I've always grown up loving animals, that was always my thing. I've never really pursued it. I would love to think that that, that I could have gotten involved in there somehow, in veterinarian or protection or, or environmental. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, you know what I would like to do? Be in the circus. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What would you do in the circus? Oh, imagine being on the on the um, the balance, the tightrope and that type of thing, and and juggling. I think, oh my god, that's. I've always wanted to run away and, and join the circus as a kid. Um, that is amazing. Uh, what wouldn't I want to do? Um, I wouldn't want to juggle chainsaws. Yeah, no. Um, uh, I don't think I'm. A, I don't feel like I'm above anything. If I had to, yeah. All right. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Fuck, you got it wrong, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, I'm. <laughs> yeah, you got it wrong, didn't you? You got it wrong, but you're still welcome. Yeah. All right. Final question is this: This goes out to you know any twelve or thirteen year old kid who's struggling with their own sexuality and coming to terms with who they are. What's that one piece of of advice or wisdom you'd like to give them to help them get through this? Yeah, things get better. Things get better. They do. Just yeah, always gets better. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, for as bad and bleak as, as it may seem, for as tragic as it may feel, just it gets better. It gets better. Well, Ian, I can't thank you enough for coming on this. This has been a lot of fun. It's all good. My, my pleasure. And if you need anything, you um, you know how to get hold of me. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ian. I had a lot of fun talking with them back over the summer. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening today. If it was your first time, if you listened back in July and you listened again, awesome. I am back next week with all new episodes. 
look for episodes uh, talking baseball and tennis to start the year, how pride is involved in these two sports. Anyways, have an awesome New Year's. Have a safe New Year's, and I will be back next Tuesday. Thank you.